Hello and welcome to the Vaccine Challenge. Our mission is to speed up the distribution of the COVID-19 vaccine by bringing to light all of the supply chain and distribution challenges involved with this mega task and by connecting the various stakeholders that can benefit from working together. I'm Priyanka and we're in conversation today with Marcus Freckling, the CEO of DHL Express Germany. Marcus has worked for the Deutsche Post DHL Group for over 20 years in Germany and abroad and has held many positions uh, for the group. He's also previously worked with the Auto Group and other German retailers and combining his logistics experience with the retail knowledge, he's also a big promoter of e-commerce. These days, of course, he has all hands on deck with uh, the vaccine distribution, uh, which is what we're going to be talking about. Could you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, Marcus, and your group? Of course, happy to do so. So my name is Marcus Reckling. I'm the managing director or CEO of DHL Express for um, Germany. So I'm heading the entire German operations, be it the operations part or be it the commercial um, side of the business. Um, I'm in this role now for four years. Before that, I have basically the same role in Turkey, where I also for four years. And before that, I was on the corporate side of those things. So within Deutsche Post DHL Group, I was in charge of strategy and MA and similar things. And then a long history before that, but that's probably not so relevant um, for today. Excellent. Wonderful. Um, that is fantastic. Thanks so much for setting the scene, uh, Marcus. We're going to get right into the thick of things. Um, so obviously, uh, the only thing that anyone's ever spoken about over the last year is 2020. And 2021 seems to be the year of talking about the vaccines, right? Um, so now different pharma companies have obviously come up with different vaccines. Uh, and it looks like they all have different requirements. It's mostly down to temperature requirements, shelf lives, and things like that. Uh, can you maybe give us a little bit of the lay of the land of what is out there and what is happening in the world of global supply chain as far as the vaccines itself uh, are concerned? And of course, and you know, as you as you know, this is a very dynamic space. Actually, you know, the, the requirements of the vaccines are changing as we speak. You know, suddenly some of them can be partially distributed at, at at kind of less critical temperatures than we thought, and things. So everything is very fluid. So it can always only be a status quo at the moment. Um, but of course, you know, I mean, overall, we're, we're you know, I think there's roughly 10 billion doses of vaccine which need to be shipped around the world, more or less within this year. Um, this is probably means probably 200,000 pallets that need to be shipped and probably 15 million of individual cooling boxes, you know, because, um, you know, it all needs to be distributed to these vaccine centers. And, um, you know, it takes probably 15,000 um, flights across all the various supply chains and, you know, in the different steps of the distribution from production to distribution center, from distribution center, then um, to the vaccine centers and um, so on and so forth and all that you know within a context of 12 18 maybe at max 24 months and afterwards we'll obviously see a totally different supply chain for that i assume there'll be a routine need also for this vaccine but that will be of course a totally setup than now the initial and um, the initial supply and of course as you already mentioned you know that all gets slightly made more complex by all the different temperature and cooling needs you know 
and partially, you know, uh, a very new concept in this is that that actually the transportation material becomes the storage material as well. You know, those cooling boxes, they're not only meant for the transportation time, but, you know, most of the vaccine centers don't have an opportunity to, to have those cooling um, equipment that you would need to store. So the transportation kind of box is actually a storage box whilst, the, whilst it's vaccinated as well. It also means that there is a totally different need for a just-in-time distribution, you know, because it not only, as we discussed today, is enough vaccine going there, you know, soon we'll also have the challenge is too much vaccine going to a different location because, you know, you can only store it for certain amounts of time. So there clearly is, is this component next to the temperature um, component um, um, as well. And all that happens, of course, in a time when global supply chains are under stress anyways. First of all, you know, um, especially airplane capacity due to the whole lockdown situation is a totally different story than in normal days. And the other thing is due to the immense push that e-commerce is getting, you know, um, that also push, pushes an extreme stress on the system. You know, we've all talked about the mother of all peaks um, this Christmas, but, you know, these behaviors are continuing. Many countries are in lockdown. So there is e-commerce volumes out there like never before. All that creates a very interesting setup for people within the supply chain industry. So exciting days. And honestly, I'm very proud to be part of this adventure at the moment because it's really like a new frontier. Excellent. You have got a job cut out for you, have you not? <laughs> so um, talk to us a little bit about what DHL specifically is doing. I mean, you know, in, in reading the news, we obviously understand there's, for the most part, there's Pfizer, there's Moderna, and there's the AstraZeneca vaccine. And then there's a bunch more, obviously, in production and things like that. But each of them have like different requirements, right? Again, as you mentioned, when it comes to shelf life and temperature and all of that good stuff. Um, so what is the sweet spot in which DHL uh, is actually playing in any specific regions uh, of focus, any specific one of the vaccines or combination? What exactly are you guys up to? Well, first of all, you know, um, you need to understand that this whole vaccine supply chain, vaccine distribution is a very delicate topic at the moment. You know, so we cannot talk about customer specific um, or provider specific topics at the moment because all that is very sensitive information. And, you know, it's very, very important that that these vaccines stay kind of integral during the whole um, time in the supply chain. That's why, you know, when, I'm not going to comment on customer-specific topics or anything like that. But for DHL, I feel um, as a group, and especially DHL Express itself, we are at the sweet spot of this. You know, as a group, we've had for many years, our purpose, our mission was um, connecting people, improving lives. And, you know, I think this statement has never been more valid um, than um, currently. So we have a slide, so it has never been more relevant, you know, I've never spoken more often about this. And, you know, in every sense of the word, I think it is true because, you know, logistics means a lot in connecting people in times when there is social distancing, simply just providing most necessary stuff to people and other things and improving lives. You know, I think now talking about the vaccine, is it is as much um, about improving lives as it could ever be. So we've been very, very much engaging in this from the very first moment. And, you know, to us, it means every day we're faster in the distribution 
you know, this will save lives. So this is um, our topic, basically. And as you know, and since we're present in all the kind of aspects of logistics, you know, be it DHL supply chain as one of the largest um, contract logistic warehousing providers, and you know, with a big, big experience also in the life science and healthcare industry, you know, operating a lot of these warehouses, be it um, DHL global forwarding, you know, really for the big air freight type of um, movements, or like us, DHL Express, you know, um, as the express provider. So, you know, whenever it is about um, high quality, very fast transportation, then it's extremely kind of to the point. This is when DHL Express comes in and that's why we are in this game. And I think with our global network, you know, of being present in 220 countries, um, operating around 500 gateways around the world, we are really at the sweet spot of, of, of providing these vaccines all across the world. And especially we also feel we have something to contribute, not only distributing this in the developed world, but also develop distributing in the less developed world, because that's where we still will be getting there in um, 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 in this. So, and the beauty is we have a lot of experience as DHL Express with the medical industry. So, you know, with products like WMX Medical Express product and other things, with a lot of. Um, experience in dealing with these companies with a lot of experience with with cooling at different temperatures and things like that so we were amongst the first ones distributing vaccines um you know to the final point and the first distribution was actually in the nights of the 8th of december where we had an overnight flight to israel which also caught a lot of public um attention there we delivered the first doses of COVID-19 vaccine to Israel. And as we all know, Israel is one of the countries really moving fastly ahead in doing that. Um, until now, we have done a lot more. You know, we have overall, we've operated 50 international flights to 15 different countries where we, you know, all the continents, be it Americas, Europe or Asia Pacific, we, we deliver vaccine. Examples would be Mexico, Chile, Italy, Norway, Singapore, but um, also a lot of different um, countries. And of course, we're still talking to a lot of governments. We're still talking to a lot of producers of the vaccines. Um, and, you know, there'll be plenty, plenty, plenty more coming soon. Excellent. That's wonderful. I mean, so it obviously sounds like it's a massive, massive task, right? I'm curious, um, what part of your existing network have you been able to use for this and how much new development uh, when it comes like, you know, to logistics itself has had to happen in order for you to make uh, this possible? Well, actually, development wise, not so much from a pure network um, perspective, because we are already doing this business with the healthcare industry um, a lot, you know, um, in our Customer portfolio, we have more than 150 pharmacists. Um, we operate more than 20 clinical trial depots. We have way more than 100 certified stations. Um, we have more than 160 GDP, um, good distribution practice, qualified warehouses. So they are qualified to hold these type of practices. We even, together with partners, operate more than 15 GMP certified sites. So good manufacturing practices and you know we can we can process um 
medical express shipments at more than 135 sites globally. So, you know, the network um, has already um, been there. And that's why, you know, we have we already had the infrastructure to provide this type of things to more than 220 countries and territories via the standard DHL Express networks. And so, um, you know, with 220 countries, we're also reaching the less developed world. So we're not only reaching the 5 billion people that more or less live in the developed or developing world, but also, you know, the 3 billion that are living in less developed countries. Um, so that is something that excites um, me a lot because, you know, this is, we can not only contribute to the wealthy part of the world, but really we can make sure that we globally distribute this, which I think will be important going forward also for the world economy. And packaging and dry eyes and stuff have been with us. So basically these shipments travel as normal shipments in our network because we are using a passive cooling method. So these shipments are cooled via um, dry ice and, you know, even the most demanding ones needing minus 80 degrees, you know, they will be lasting for roughly 10 days. So that means, you know, um, they the, the, the usually one to four days of our distribution time around the world um, and the mass, vast majority of within one, two or three days, some of the very remote destination might take a bit more, but it leaves also enough days um, to make sure that it cannot only be transported, but it can actually also be vaccinated um, because the box is also used in the vaccination centers to store it until it is vaccinated. So I think, you know, our network was very, very well um, um, set up for this. Of course, you know, you need to invest in a bit of extra um, safety measures, you know, and depending on the country setup, sometimes there is police protection um, and other things like that necessary. But um, it wasn't much real network development that we needed to do. That's very interesting. So, I mean, uh, that makes me curious, this existing network that you already have had before the vaccines were required or perhaps used to move something else, right? So has there been any other industry or commodity that has had to take a beating or perhaps has had like a crunch in capacity because the vaccines are now taking up all of this capacity that you already had in place? Um, I think from a replacement or from a that, that it pushes other things out, this is not so much of a problem. I mean, there is overall capacity constraint that maybe we'll come to that in a bit more detail in a moment. But since all these um, shipments are, you know, um, passively cooled, so there is dry ice and similar things involved. And, you know, especially when you want to get up to minus 80 degrees, you know, you need a lot more dry ice than you need of the real substance. Um, so there is maximum amounts of dry ice allowed in any specific type of aircraft. So, you know, there is no chance of filling an entire aircraft with these vaccines. They're always only a small portion in the aircraft. So they don't really take away so much of the other cargo in the airplane because actually it's good that we also have the other cargo because that means an efficient distribution because if we were to only um, fly the backside around you know the aircrafts would be have a, a way more air than cargo inside them because due to the regulations you know there is a you cannot put so much of those shipments on there. I got it. That's very interesting. And uh, so the dry ice that you talk of is that something that's normally 
produced uh or is that something that's uh that's basically outsourced that that has gotten from other dry ice manufacturers or is that something that's produced yeah, I mean, by I mean, it's, it, and basically you know i mean normally when when our customers need dry ice they can either get it themselves or we can provide it with them but in this instance where you know all of the manufacturers you know of these vaccines are huge manufacturers with huge dry ice needs they all have their own manufacturers of dry ice so we get it from them readily packed with the right amount of of dry ice um, um, in them we only need to know how much dry ice is in there so that we can calculate how many shipments can go on which airplane by the manufacturer distributor before he gives it to us so these boxes you see back there they are pre-packed everything in there and you know um, you know and there also is an active data logger in there. So during the entire journey, you know, the physical status of the shipment is is actively monitored. So also temperature to ensure whatever the temperature need of the respective shipment, those temperatures are always kept and to make 100% sure that the vaccine is safe to use. Um, so, you know, there's the maximum amount of safety you can possibly have in this and when you open the box at the vaccine center the first thing you see is the active data logger and you can read out you know that it's safe to use excellent got it and you also mentioned earlier that these boxes are also used as storage at these facilities right because a lot of facilities may not have um you know is to keep it cool and things like that is that is that specific to the covid-19 vaccine or is is that a common well, it, it, I mean, it's it's very typical for the COVID uh, vaccine. It it has been done um, before, but of course, and it always depends. You know, I mean, the more the more specific the cooling requirements are, the more likely that is. You know, at many you know, I mean, there is basically um, three type of cooling levels. You know, there is the ambient with the plus two to eight. And there is the typical deep frozen with the minus 20. And then there is the minus 80, you know. Of course, you know, minus 80 facilities, um, you know, you only have a very, very limited around the world altogether. So that whenever something needs to be cooled that much, that's when these type of things come in place. Um, a typical minus 20, you know, you, you get a lot already. And the ambient, you know, like chilled uh, two to eight, that's, that's uh, you know fairly easy to achieve. So and it, it depends on those levels how important the packaging is for a storage purpose. Gotcha, makes sense. Okay, well let's talk about the challenges then. Um, you know, you, you make it sound very easy, uh, but obviously curious to know what would you say are the top three challenges when it comes to such a big task? What are probably the bottlenecks? Um, and yeah, you know, just what is what is it that's keeping you up at night? I mean, of course, the first one is air freight capacity, which is limited. You know, as you probably know, in normal times, 50% of the global air freight is traveling in passenger aircraft and not in dedicated cargo aircrafts. So with half of those aircrafts missing, you know, there is a lot of capacity missing. And then, of course, with the special requirements, you know, um, of these vaccines, they cannot always travel in every type of aircraft um, due to safety requirements. Um, so that is a big, big issue after capacity. You know, we as DHL Express are in the lucky position that we have a huge global fleet of dedicated cargo aircraft um, that we are we are operating. So that puts us in a very 
good position. It already helped us in the first phase of this crisis, you know, when we were extremely active in in shipping PPE around the world when, you know, when that was the scarcity. So now it puts us in a in a um, great position with the vaccines to really have enough aircraft in um, in the network. And of course, um, you, you know, um, luckily, you know, we had ordered a lot of new cargo aircraft a few years back. So just last year, we were able to put six brand new white body B777 freighters into our operations. And they, of course, help again easing that. We've now just placed an order, as you might have heard, um, um, for another eight brand new B777s, which will which will then from 2022 onwards strengthen our fleet. So I think it clearly shows how important it is if you want to be a trustworthy operator to really have access to your own dedicated cargo fleet. Because in a world where crises are becoming and disturbances to supply chains become more and more frequent, resilience becomes more and more important. And I think people are starting to see that resilience isn't only a hype word or a hype concept, but it's really a business need. And and we feel very well positioned with our network for that. But of course, if there's 25% of capacity globally missing, you know, that is an issue and a challenge. The second, of course, and that was one, and that's a real one and um, is availability of the crews, you know, and not just having enough captains, but having them in the right place and having them being able to travel, you know, with all the lockdown activity and all the other stuff that we're facing um, at the moment. Um, this is um, really, really um, a big um, issue since, you know, there is lockdown, there's curfews, you know, sometimes we're flying actually empty planes around just to keep the pilots into a place where they can sleep and still continue traveling on the next morning. We're spending fortunes on disinfecting aircraft due to regulation. So this is an extremely additional challenge, you know, that all these safety rules due to the pandemic are making life more and more complicated. Um, And of course, the last one is, and despite our network being well organized for it, you know, I mean, Temperature controls and especially extreme temperatures require a very coordinated approach, as we talked about. You know, there is only so and so much of the dry ice you can put on an aircraft and things like um, that. I think, um, you know, it's good that we have dedicated people with a lot of experience in that around the world. Um, But it is not something, you know, um, you just charter an aircraft, you put on these vaccines and you fly off. You need to have dedicated people at origin. You need to have dedicated people at at destination who know how to deal with these uh, things to make really sure that the vaccine, when it arrives to where it's supposed to be used, is in a condition that it still can be used. And, you know, who would want to waste some of this very scarce vaccine due to handling mistakes or other stuff, that is something that needs to be avoided at any cost. Absolutely. And do you think? Let me add a fourth one, maybe. You know, of course, you know, as with any scarce item, you know, um, you know, uh, there might be, and then, you know, strange people might get interested in the vaccine. So, of course, security and protection and things like that is an additional um, challenge. Is it only when it gets to the other end that it then becomes the responsibility of the recipient? And is like, is, um, you know, nefarious behavior or, you know, have security concerns already been something 
I, I understand that that's expected, but is that something that's already seen the problem? Well, I mean, I mean, and of course, you know, I'm not going to talk too much about those security concepts because, you know, um, it, it, they become secure because you don't talk about them. But um, I mean, so far we didn't have any issues. That's the good news, but we're taking very, very extensive measures and the measures differentiate, of course, you know, whether it's the first mile, whether it's in the transportation or whether it's at destination. Absolutely. Okay, well then, let's talk about any um, interesting partnerships that DHL might have forged. I can imagine that this is something that can't necessarily be done in isolation, even though (laughs) isolation seems to be the term of 2020. Um, So what interesting partnerships have you guys uh, forged? Actually, you know, I'm going to have a very boring answer on that one. No spectacular partnerships, really, because as said before, we have everything in-house that we need um, for this. And, you know, since our business model in logistics is called that of an integrator, which actually means, you know, we're having all the capabilities from door to door. And that's why we don't need a lot of partnerships in this. And I think especially in a delicate topic like this, this is a clear advantage no, because if, if you need to um, agree on certain standards across partners, if you have data exchange needs across, you know, that all makes it more complicated. We all have an integral in one um, system. So we see that as one of our core strengths. And that's why we believe that, you know, express um, not only because of the temperature and speed requirements, but also because of this, you know, integral part um, is a key player in the Spexine logistic game. Very self sufficient. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, all right. Um, moving levers a little bit, uh, I'm, I'm curious what you think in the world of supply chain is possibly going to change permanently as a result of this uh, pandemic. Do you think that there's anything that's going to forever be different in supply chain? Well, I guess, you know, there is probably two things or three things that I would mention. I do believe that, you know, Due to this, and you know, we've all learned that that maybe some of the health systems have been, you know, saving so much over the last few years that the systems really struggled at the beginning. You know, just production capabilities for masks. Where do these masks are being stored and stuff? So, so I think also logistics providers, you know, I think are more and more gearing up to the specific needs of the of the healthcare um, industries. And so, I think we'll see a huge increase in the availability of solutions, a huge increase in certified stations, certified transportation providers, and um, things like um, 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 this. So, I believe. Um, that is going to be um, um, one of the big um, changes. The other is probably, um, you know, much more tailored solutions, you know. I mean, to really, because we're understanding way more what the specific needs is. And, you know, there is probably a notion the next crisis is probably going to come. We see the mutants now. So, you know, I mean, I think this will all increase the sensitivity. And in addition to that, I do hope um, one of the things that will really change for, you know, in supply chains is, I guess, supply chain people have discussed a lot about resilience in the late last seven to 10 years. But somehow it's always been a discussion concept. Uh, it very rarely made itself into the real decision making or even if it did, you know, I mean, a year later, things were forgotten and the next cost-cutting exercise kicked in again. And, and um, you know, uh, it's 
very difficult in good times it's difficult to attach something positive to resilience but you can always easily kind of kind of attach a price tag to resilience and that's why there is a huge risk i do hope that with all the struggles in the resilience of the supply chains we had this time that you know and with if you just look at how many crises that the world see it seems to be accelerating the more global we get because you know even small local exercises can suddenly have a global impact you don't need a global pandemic like this one to really realize it so i do believe that that and i do hope that this time around you know even in two years when maybe this pandemic is over people do remember that it might make sense to invest a few bucks into the resilience of your supply chain because at the end of the day not being able to sell or not being able to deliver or not being able to manufacture is way more expensive than any of the investments you might put into resilience so that's another change i would see in supply chains that hopefully you know from this ever talent and from this ever hype discussion topic it'll get down to the shop floor of the warehouses and the trans and the supply chains to make sure um, we really have the solutions in place we need yeah that's excellent uh, very very well said uh, you were talking earlier about you know just overall supply chain crunch um you know not necessarily from a vaccine perspective but just generally i know that you know a lot of your focus obviously is on ecom and you were mentioning about that earlier can you maybe just give a brief roundup of what is happening in the world of ecom and with with the supply chain and capacity crunch you know what is it going to look like and what is happening in that well maybe just to give you a first number of germany only you know in the in the peak season this year um on the strongest day we had 30% more deliveries um than on the strongest day of the 2019 peak so plus 30% um you know this and you know on a number which is always big in the peak so there you can see a, a lot of a lot of fundamental um changes happened um, um there you know luckily you know as an express provider we have a balanced portfolio of of b2b and b2c so you know i think we are probably much more able to kind of balance these things and still hold up a good quality while some of the more typical parcel providers who are way more dependent on b2c you know they get hit by these wave waves much stronger and that's why sometimes they face bigger quality problems then somebody like DHL Express with this more balanced um profile has but we do see a substantial change in 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 the percentages um um that are happening and you know all all the research shows the vast majority of that is going to stay after after the pandemic as well of course you know downtown uh, downtown shopping malls high streets will not totally die but i think there is a substantial shift um in the patterns um on what's going happen similar to you know similar to also how i believe you know the way we work will not be the same as before the crisis now with all the things we've learned and and, and this is clearly going to stay um but um the it changes and another thing that that i think you know this b2c change will also to a large extent drive b2b change you know so you know what we are observing is this b2b e-commerce topic we're also you know in the b2b um, supply chain these e-commerce concepts are becoming much more important smaller companies are gearing up for much more global supply chains than in the past 
a lot sizes are becoming a lot smaller than in the past, you know, online for really um, doing, um, um, doing um, B2B supply um, kind of uh, processes are becoming way more important than in the past. So I think we'll also see some of this B2C e-commerce move into a B2B e-commerce. And of course, you know, as not to be expected differently, you know, Asia and, and the Alibabas on the world are, are driving this change rapidly. Absolutely. If we draw the parallel to resilience, you know, if it takes only three to four years from discussing to becoming reality, it's probably fast. You know, it's taking resilience a lot longer to really, really find its way into the real life. Yeah, that's true. It looks like all it needed, all we needed in the world of supply chain to improve was a global pandemic. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, and for us to kind of see uh, the things needed to be changed and how. Um, it was so fantastic talking to you, Marcus. Uh, thank you so much for taking out the time. Any last comments? No, I actually, no, I'm just, you know, as said in the beginning, I think, you know, we as DHL Express, since we're, you know, so dedicated to improving lives, are really, really, really excited to be part of this, you know, unparalleled um, experiment. And we're highly dedicated to making sure that as much vaccine as available reaches every single part of this world, because this is something we really truly strongly believe in, you know, it only makes sense if we get it all across the world. You know, all this fighting that we're hearing in the politics now, who gets how much first, I think is a bit of short-sighted. You know, if we want to get our normal lives back, we need to make sure the whole world gets this vaccine. Yeah, that's awesome. It's it's quite rare that you actually get to live uh, your mission statement. Um, and, uh, you know, this is obviously the chance. So that's fantastic and really well said. Uh, thank you so much, Marcus. Really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk. That is it for today from us at the Vaccine Challenge. We continue to work towards our mission of bringing to light all of the supply chain and distribution challenges that can help speed up the distribution of the COVID-19 vaccines world over. If you're doing anything worthwhile in this space, have any suggestions of who you should talk to or any other ways that we can improve the podcast, please write to us at contactus at thevaccinechallenge.com. Until then, stay safe. Stay responsible. This is us signing off from the Vaccine Challenge.